Welcome everyone. It's Tom Hughes here in Cardiff. I'm delighted to be with you again with another podcast for Practical Neurology. This month's editor's choice is peripheral nerve blocks for headache disorders. Of course, these are peripheral cranial nerve blocks for headache disorders. And I'm delighted that we have Dr. Louis Idrovo, consultant neurologist from Leeds, to talk to us about this excellent article. Louis, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Tom, for the invitation. Well, I've read this article and um, it's packed full of very useful tips, ideas and practical advice. So without further ado, Louis, in your abstract at the beginning, you say that there's really no readily accessible resource with instructions for how to deliver peripheral nerve blocks to treat headache. Does that surprise you? Well, um, that's a very interesting topic to discuss because um, when I was looking for um, audiovisual resources about how to perform these procedures and how to perform this technique, I, I couldn't find very good quality information. There were textbooks, there were some um, review articles about the indications, contraindications, but there was no readily accessible information uh, or descriptive information about how to perform this treatment. And then that was one of the motivations to write this paper. Excellent. And I can see that uh, I think it will set a high bar uh, as a precedent for the treatment of headache with peripheral nerve blocks. And of course, I should be making it clear to our listeners that by peripheral nerve blocks, we mean the nerves that emerge from foramina such as the supraorbital nerve and the uh, greater occipital nerve, etc. So, Louis, could you comment about the evidence base? If there isn't a reliable textbook about how to give these injections, how good is the evidence base for their use? Um, it is true that there is little high-quality papers and publications about uh, how to perform nerve blocks and about the evidence um, or the indications uh, on when to perform these uh, treatments. Um, we know that there, are, there have been randomized controlled trials and open-label studies um, the best level of evidence would be for patients with trigeminotonomic cephalalgias. So there has been two randomized controlled trials that have shown um, that is a class one evidence for, for this, for basically for patients with cluster headaches, uh, episodic or chronic, and also a, a not as good level of evidence for hemicrania continua and paroxysmal hemicrania. Um, the second group of patients that might have benefit from this treatment would be the patients with chronic migraine um, and also patients with um, acute migraine uh, status. Um, however, the level of evidence is being classified as a class two. Um, other group of patients, including patients with uh, cranial neurologists like occipital neuralgia, also would benefit from from these treatments and nerve blocks would be a therapeutic and diagnostic tool 
yeah, that's interesting. And I, I, I completely understand the way in which it's both a therapeutic and a diagnostic tool. So based on that evidence, um, could you just talk us through the consent process? Because I notice in the paper that you use pictures to help people understand the course of these peripheral nerves. When, when someone comes to our clinics, uh, the first thing we do is to make sure the patient's being referred with the right diagnosis. So we take, again, a good history. Um, we examine the patient. We, um, we palpate the, the cranial nerves, the temporomandibular joints, the occipital nerve areas. And we, again, review um, a few things that are necessary to deliver this treatment. So in the consenting process, we, we show the patient what we're gonna do. We show the patient diagram of the um, pericranial nerves, including the supratrochlear, supraorbital, auriculotemporal nerves, and occipital nerves. And we show some images of, of where we're gonna inject. We explain the technique very briefly and uh, in, in lay terms. And um, we ask basic questions like if the patient has had any allergic reactions or any, any problems with anesthetics or steroids. Um, and um, we explain the, the risks and benefits of this treatment. So, yeah, that's very interesting. So um, could you talk me through who is eligible for a greater occipital nerve block? At what stage in their headache history do you give these blocks and exactly where in the head and neck do you inject? Yes, uh, for greater occipital nerve blocks, there are clear indications. Uh, in first instance, uh, patients with uh, primary occipital neurologists, uh, that would be our kind of first line, uh, first indication for treating these patients. Um, that will be, um, one of the, I would say, one of the main groups that we, we select. Another uh, indication would be patients with um, cluster headaches while they're in their cluster period. Um, and that, that would be the best timing to, to inject these patients. And thirdly would be patients with, with chronic migraine that had not responded to other maybe medication or they have particularly tenderness on, on the occipital and other trigeminal trigeminal nerves like the supraorbital, supratrochlear, or auriculotemporal nerves. Um, the greater occipital nerve blocks are delivered where the or greater occipital nerve emerges, um, which is in the line between the inion, which is the occipital protuberance, and the mastoid. So if we draw an imaginary line, uh, between the inion and the tip of the mastoid in the proximal or the, the proximal third, that's where the nerve emerges and that's the area where we inject. And are you saying, Louis, that these injections can be given early on in the course of, say, cluster headache before trying other things like verapamil or steroids, for example? Well, these treatments were developed as a transitional treatment. So when a patient is having a cluster attack, um, 
we can deliver them at the beginning of the cluster attack until we build up the dose of other medications. And it can confer a rapid relief to the patient and uh, improvement of the symptoms. So you don't have to wait um, trying other medications first. You can give them early on. I see. And I think you mentioned using injections into the greater occipital nerve for severe migraine during pregnancy. Is that right? That is one of our um, common indications in our clinics. Um, we see patients with uh, debilitating migraines, uh, uh, women that are pregnant. And um, as you know, there's not much evidence to use other treatments. Therefore, that's one of the, one of the indications that we have. Um, uh, we know that that's a safe treatment, uh, is well tolerated, and seems to be quite effective during pregnancy. Thank you very much. We move now to the lesser occipital nerve. Who should have a lesser, lesser occipital nerve injection? Um, the lesser occipital nerve is a nerve that arises from the ventral rame from the second and third cervical spinal nerves. It ascends and pierces the posterior aspect of the sternocleidomastoid and innervates the lateral part of the occipital bone. Um, we normally see patients that have um, occipital neuralgia or cervicogenic headache, and they have particular pain, particularly they have pain on that area. Usually they describe pain close to the ear and on that lateral aspect of the occipital bone. So we tend to inject patients that um, particularly localize pain on that area. Towards the end of the article, you mentioned three nerves that are also considered the supratrochlear nerve, the supraorbital nerve, and the auricular temporal nerve. Could you give us a couple of sentences about each of those nerves, please? Yes. Um, patients with headaches normally describe pain in the forehead and in the temple areas. Um, these areas are innervated by the superficial branches of the trigeminal nerve. Particularly, the forehead is innervated by superficial branches of the ophthalmic nerve, namely the supratrochlear, which um, arises on the supramedial aspect of the supraorbital ridge and innervates the medial part of the forehead. And adjacent to this nerve, more laterally, emerging from the supraorbital notch, we see the supraorbital nerve, which is a, a larger trunk of nerve that innervates the more lateral part of the forehead. On the temple, the auriculotemporal nerve is a branch of the third division or the mandibular nerve. And this nerve ascends um, anteriorly to the tragus and innervates all the temporomandibular joint area and the temple. That's very interesting. So I can't resist asking you about temporomandibular joint pain. Is that a source of significant pain, do you think, for patients in headache clinic? And is it ever difficult to distinguish from things like 
pain in the distribution of the auricular temporal nerve? It is quite common to see patients with pain in the jaw and pain in the temple. And it is quite common as well to have sometimes difficulties in distinguishing if this patient has TMJ dysfunction or just a form of auriculotemporal neuralgia. However, normally patients with TMJ would describe pain on chewing or opening their jaw, and the pain tends to radiate to the lower part of the jaw, whereas in patients with auriculotemporal neuralgia or pain in the auriculotemporal area, normally describe pain that radiates upward to the temple and to the posterior part of the temple area. So clinically, there might be some, some differences. So. I have to ask you about the safety of these interventions. Are they safe? And if they're not safe, what are the main complications? Um, the literature is full of um, safety advice about offering these treatments. Um, I think what we have um, reviewed about the anatomical landmarks, I think it's very important to avoid any complications such as um, injecting an arterial um, um, structure or causing damage to the nerve itself. Um, but overall, overall, these treatments are quite safe. The, the common complications that we see in clinics are usually um, minor bleeding that can be you know, easily contained because these nerves are superficial, uh, bruising, a bit of pain. Mm -hmm. that usually is relieved by applying some cold patch uh, over the next few hours or days. Um, but overall, the treat these treatments are quite safe. Excellent. So, Louis, my final question. Are these injections underused, do you think, in the management of headache disorders? Unfortunately, yes. I think that... Um, patients are not receiving these treatments as frequent as they should. Um, I believe that um, in the UK, there still is room for further training, for example, to, I mean, for other headache practitioners um, to get better knowledge of this technique and to... Um, be able to offer this treatment that is uh, an affordable, safe and effective treatment. Thank you very much. Well, that's been a great pleasure to speak to you. Very interesting article, very accessible. And it seems that these treatments are underused, safe and effective. What's not to like? Louis, thank you very much for joining us. And I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thank you very much, Tom. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. If you subscribe to the Practical Neurology podcast on your favourite platform, you can get every new episode downloaded automatically to your phone or computer. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving us a review or a comment or some constructive feedback on the Practical Neurology podcast iTunes podcast page. Thank you very much.